Welcome to the Talking Serverless Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Jones, joined today by Eric Johnson, a senior developer advocate of Amazon Web Services based out of Northern Colorado. Eric is a fanatic about serverless and helping developers understand serverless. Eric believes that serverless technologies introduce a major paradigm shift in building and running applications at a massive scale, and the move to serverless results in less code and infrastructure overhead. How are you doing today, Eric? I am great. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to have you on. Um, uh, as we talked about prior to the podcast starting, you know, we've been in the same circles for a while around like serverless things popping off, and uh, it's it's cool to be able to pick your brain a bit. Oh yeah, gladly. Uh, for the listeners out there, I kind of wanted to start with your background. Um, and uh, I saw over the past few years, looking at your LinkedIn, you kind of like transitioned into like a cloud evangelist or a cloud advocate um, around like 2016. How did how did this transition happen, and and how did you kind of get into the cloud to begin with? Uh, so that's an interesting story. Um, so my background, uh, for people who don't know this, uh, I was a pastor for 12 years. And so, and people, what? So yeah, I was a pastor for about 12 years and I was a speaker. I was a public speaker, but on the side, I had always done technology. Uh, and so as I stepped down, I started moving technology, uh, into the, into the forefront and I became, you know, I've, I've like everybody else, I, you know, I learned at night. I have, I have no formal training, training in computers. I do not have a computer degree. Uh, I, I have a master's in divinity is, is, <laughs> which is quite the opposite. And, uh, so. What I ended up doing is, is I, you know, I started out as a designer. Turns out I was a really poor designer. Moved into development uh, and just fell in love with development in general. And then I remember in 2014, I was working um, for a company called Showpitch. And I was a uh, senior architect, front-end architect, and back-end architect. We were doing a lot of different things. And and then I remember coming to the announcement for serverless. And and I just sat there and I was like, there's, there's no other way. That's the way to do it, it seems, you know. And I'd already become a cloud fanatic, you know, going back to ancient question. I, I was a cloud fanatic and, and I really f- believed in, you know, in the, you know, why would you have your own data center? Why would you build your own system when, when you can you move that heavy lifting off to someone else? Uh, and I was, I was the, in every company I worked for, I was a small, there were small companies and I was the R and D guy. Hey, go figure out the cloud. Hey, figure out how to do this. Hey, figure out this. So I'm always kind of a cloud admin. And so in 2016, uh, I went to work for a company called Rackspace as the AWS evangelist for Rackspace. Rackspace was stepping into the cloud management, cloud support uh, arena. And that's what I did. They hired me to talk about AWS. Uh, and it was, you know, that was a, that was a dream come true. I, I'm an AWS fanatic, have been uh, since Man, even 2006, uh, I, you know, I was doing some some early stuff on on AWS, and so you know, the rest is history. I, you know, I, again, I, I got into the cloud, and and I saw serverless, and that that was my target from then on. Um, bring come forward to 20, well, I have to remember the dates now, 2018, and that's when I I found you know I met with Chris, and and I had always been at Rackspace, even though I was the AWS evangelist, I had always been the serverless guy. Oh, you want to do serverless? Talk to Eric. He, you know, because I just, I just loved it. I just, it was the way to go. And so it was just a, a very natural progression for me to go move to a targeted serverless evangelist or DA role. That was probably a lot more than you wanted, but there you go. Yeah, awesome. Um, so to <laughs> dial back a bit, I mean, it's really, really yeah. interesting story. So how do you think that uh, being a pastor in your former life and or if you are you still do you still do that as well on the side or? So I speak sometimes on the side, still very involved in my church. Uh, it wasn't a, you know, oh, I'm angry. You know, you just it, so <laughs> I have five kids. And so uh, I had to step down and, and, and do something, you know, make sure my family is getting more of my attention. Pastoring is a hard job. But the speaking, you know, so, so the developer of, of 
advocate role is this marriage of technology and speaking. Uh, and, and the way I say it is, you know, there are speakers who are technical and there are technical people who speak. And I'm probably more of the first group where uh, my speaking is going to kind of be my, my of the two skill sets, I'm higher on the speaking. And then I try to stay as technical as I can. Uh, whereas we have some folks that are just crazy technical that also speak. But it, yeah, it helps out. Yeah, that's really interesting. And and to kind of dial back, um, so you made the transition into development, front-end, back-end architecture, became a cloud fanatic, went to a pretty big company or a really big yeah. company, Rackspace. Um, yeah. And then and then you became the serverless guy. So how did how did that look like? What did your how did you build up this knowledge around serverless? What type of things were you building? You know, so it started internally. Uh, I was I was looking at some ways we were we were tracking some stuff, and it was one of those man. I, I know I could do this better, and that's why you know there's 300 million applications out there. Uh, probably not better, but I, I didn't like the way we were tracking something. I'd always loved serverless. I decided, you know what, I'm going to apply that. So on my off time, you know, at night, and weekends, things like that, I started building a tracking system using all serverless, and I got it to a proof of concept. And I went to my boss at the time and I said, Hey, I think we can do this better. Here's a proof of concept I've got. And he loved it. He said, I, and we ended up hiring a team of, of developers that grabbed that and, and made my code much better, but stayed serverless with it. Uh, you know, kind of answer the questions of, of doing the serverless. Again, as I said earlier, to me, that I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fanatic and, and I believe that serverless can handle most workloads. Yeah, there are some edge cases where, where I would look at other workloads, but for most workloads, I feel like serverless is a good fit. And I like to see, at least that's where I start. You know, it, it's serverless first idea of, let me try this in serverless, do this proof of concept. And then, you know, if, if I feel like I need to step out of serverless, I can for some of this, but the proof of concept idea of serverless is so fast. I'm not spinning up instances. I'm not spinning up, you know, databases, things like that. I'm just writing code. And so I can, I did this proof of concept, you know, in really a week and a week and a half. And most of that was me just learning how to code better and figure out how I, how I want to do some front end stuff. But that, so, so that really kind of took off from there. So, so what folks did is, Oh, look, Eric built that in serverless. Where else can we do it? And as we had clients that would work with serverless, they would say, well, let's, let's pull in, you know, this, this particular, I worked as a solutions architect. So I worked, you know, all across the AWS spectrum, but because of serverless, that's where I became kind of the, the pinpoint guy. Hey, we got, we have serverless. Let's talk. Let's pull Eric Johnson into this meeting. And, and I got to help a lot of customers look at serverless workloads more. And usually it was a case of integrating serverless into what they were already doing, uh, taking some ops stuff, doing some, you know, one off, you know, cron type stuff. Yeah, this is really interesting. So uh, to dial back, uh, you said that most workloads uh, would probably fit into serverless. When when sometimes you hear, I'm sure you hear pushback from people around uh, different workloads and whether or not they make sense. And, you know, there's still probably people out there that, you know, are talking about cold starts and it, it probably still is a real problem for some run times. But for a, a lot of a lot of people, we've, we've, we've seen serverless kind of mature um, quite a lot over the past few years. So when you when you hear that and when you're when you're talking about most workloads fit, how do you how do you kind of explain that to people? Do you think that there's some level of like legacy uh, knowledge that's it's like people used to build everything and now they only build a small piece and it's almost like how where do I put all my blocks now? Yeah. You know, if we take away all these things, where do where do I put all this other stuff that we built for like years? You know? Yeah, and that's the challenge, right? I, I think you know I say serverless fits most workloads if you approach it in a serverless manner. I think one of the struggles that we have and a lot of pushback we get is is but that's not the way we did it. Uh, you know, I need to bring in a lot, a lot of stuff 
that really you don't need with serverless. And, you know, I'm going to write my own authentication. I'm going to write my own pub sub. I'm going to write my own, you know, whatever uh, versus versus understanding. And if you think about, you know, <laughs> you know, you can put 100 people in a room and define serverless. And it's like, well, you know, we have different angles. But I look at it as this using managed services, you know, uh, and not reinventing the wheel. You know, you put together managed services uh, that build an application. Right. And so. But what we have folks doing is is not and, – and, and it comes about awareness. Oh, I didn't know that you know, EventBridge did that. I didn't know SQS existed or I didn't know SNS could fan out. And so they write a lot of that code or write a lot of the, that functionality into their code. And then it becomes, well, it doesn't really fit. Uh, you know, uh, it takes me, you know, longer than the 15-minute time frame to do what I'm trying to do. And the first question I often ask is, you know, how are you approaching? Are you, are you doing that? And I don't say it this way. Are you doing that legacy? You know, but, you know, explain to me what you're doing. Talk me through it. And and it is that very linear, uh, I did this, then I did this, then I did this, and there's 17,000 lines of code in my Lambda to handle all this. And you're right, that doesn't fit in serverless. But really, honestly, that shouldn't fit anywhere. You know, serverless, I really think done right is is a mirror reflection of just good architecture and good code. Yeah, this is a really interesting topic. So, um, yeah, what, what you kind of ex- what you kind of talked about there is that serverless forces you to kind of expose uh, different problems that may have been kind of pushed underneath the covers. Because, like, you know, if you have an EC2 instance, you did it manually. You know, it's a one-off thing. Do another one some point when it comes down the pipe, and it's like, you know, there's who 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 built it? What what, what was used? Is there infrastructure? Is code behind it? Um, and then you get into the fully managed services side of it, uh, where now your code is much less, the overhead's much less because you're not writing that code. You don't have That's to right. debug it. And and then you look at something like you just said. Wow, there's 17,000 lines of this this lambda function, and we have we built out all these other services, which probably could we could have just used SQS, I guess. Um, yeah. It's yeah yeah. So it's it's really interesting. So on the um, thinking about the future and how all this stuff kind of loops together, I've talked to some people on the podcast, and they've described the the future as like no code or or any code is overhead. Um, how, how do you think about that? You know, I don't know if I'd say any code is overhead because I think I think any code that doesn't differentiate what I'm doing. Um, and, and and let me and and if you follow me at all, you'll know that I do like I, you know I, I push the uh, direct integrations from API Gateway. So so where instead of instead of running a, a Lambda function between API Gateway and DynamoDB, I often opt for just connecting right to DynamoDB. You remove the code, but in a sense, you, you what you're doing is you're moving that code or moving some of that logic to API Gateway. So it's not really a removal of code, so to speak. It is a it is a removal. It, it lessens the code. Um, I think a better way I would say that, and I have, it's it's up to you to decide whether it's better or not. But another way that I would say that is, yeah, I, I reducing code and offloading um, tasks to services that are built for those tasks. And so anytime I'm writing code to reinvent the wheel, that's wasted code. Right. The code I'm writing should only apply to, to what, to my application, what differentiates me from, from the company next to me. You know, uh, so, so I shouldn't be mastering queuing systems. I shouldn't be mastering databases. I shouldn't be mastering auth zero. I should use the services that are in place. And what I should be mastering is the code that makes my app do what makes that app unique. Yeah. That's a really good way to say it. It's almost like, um, uh, this kind of gets into a serverless philosophy question around like, and I, I think you you kind of got to it a little bit at the beginning, is uh, 
when you're focusing on not reinventing the wheel and even these integrations, I think AppSync's doing a lot of that um, with the VTL templates and stuff like that. Um, you're, it's like you're focusing on what matters. And, and I, th- I completely agree. It's like, you know, if you're, and sometimes I say this and it, it comes off weird because I'll be like, you know, maybe you just need to use Wix. <laughs> but I talk to like a single <laughs> but founder. But there's truth to that. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like, it's like, do you, do you really need to hire somebody to build out a serverless architecture with React and all that stuff? And it's like, you're still in the proof of concept phase. That's a lot of overhead. <laughs> so do the thing that, uh, you know, is the, the simplest path forward. If it's a direct integration from API Gateway to DynamoDB, then you skip over all your CRUD functionality maybe and you go straight yeah. to, you get you get all the way to the the stuff that actually is going to have that impact, and that's that's awesome. So, um, what does that look like? How is the how for those for those listening that don't do API integrations or, or API gateway integrations to other services? Is that a good experience? Is it like VTL templates? Um, is it the same <laughs> for AppSync? VTL should replace all code. No, that, <laughs> you, you want to delete that. So you know. So here's the balance on that, and and and, and I have been you know I. I I have a URL shortener and I, we can post a link or something, but it, it is a three part blog and it builds a URL shortener because the world needs another URL shortener, right? And it builds a URL shortener that's entirely API gateway and DynamoDB. And then we put some, we put CloudFront in front of it and it works. It works great. And it's lightning fast and it's very reliable and it's very secure, but it's not pretty. You know, the VTL is not pretty. And so, so there's a balance there and, and, Jinair um, said this, and 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 he's my uh, he's he's the director of of Lambda Services. He says you shouldn't use Lambda to transport; you should use Lambda to transform, right? A Lambda function, and I really kind of hold to that when I evaluate what am I doing with the data. If the data is coming in, and I'm simply putting it in a format that it can be injected straight into DynamoDB, then I really don't need uh, a Lambda function to do that. But if if I'm doing a little more than that, you know, I'm, I'm adding some, you know, whatever, I'm doing some logic, then I'm not going to waste time trying to figure out all the VTL for that. So there's a balance, right? It all comes down to what makes us as developers efficient uh, and what makes our applications efficient. Right. So, so yes, while directly integrating into DynamoDB, it's going to save me a Lambda invocation. And when you're talking about millions, millions of hits, that's, there's some, you know, there's a little bit of money saving or millions upon millions upon millions because you get the first million free. Right. But, um, you, you know, you, you get some savings there, but it's also, you, you, you're, you're reducing a very minor bit of latency. But is that worth? you know, the, the VTL, you know, the, the large VTL files that it can sometimes give. And in some places I say yes. In some places I say no. Uh, so I don't know if that actually you know, answered your question. What does that look like? But that's, that's the discussion I have in my head when I'm approaching this. Is this, you know, overall, is this more efficient for me? And is it more efficient for the application as a whole? And sometimes it's yes. Oftentimes it's no. Yeah, that's really interesting. I haven't heard that before. The um, Lambda to transport, no. Lambda to transform, yes. I think that's a really good way of saying it because, you know, like a lot of most APIs, you know, they're going to have the, the generic CRUD functionality, take it, put it into the database. Um, so check on that, you know, just transport the data directly, eliminate the Lambda function, right. add some extra logic in there. Okay, now I can see the Lambda function pop back up. And so, and then you mentioned that you did a VTL um, crazy project for shortening URLs. I've, I've played quite a lot with uh, VTL um, for, for a while now, and I know how quickly those things can get 
get out of hand. <laughs> well, so so I want to add on to that. So part of this, and, and I may take this a different angle so you can tell me to hold off and you can ask your question, but the other part of this, sometimes it's not about no code, but sometimes it's about when to code. Uh, and part of that pattern, I wasn't so much driving the removal of a Lambda function. I'm a huge advocate of Lambdas and Lambda functions, right? But what I'm an advocate is, is using them in the right place. So for instance, I, I do a presentation called Thinking Asynchronously. And the, the whole idea behind this is if we think about when we process data, do we process that data between our API gateway? Because, you know, 99% of the time our API gateway is the front door, right? And we may be going to DynamoDB or, or some kind of, for me, it's going to be DynamoDB. We'll use that in our example. Do I process that data before I put it into DynamoDB? And, and here's the risk there. Okay, and, and I've said this a hundred times is or, or more than that, the most brittle part of an application is gonna be my code. That's just that's just the truth. You know, a hundred developers in the room, I might be in the top fifty, I'm certainly not in the top twenty. You know, my code is okay, I do a good job, but it's not I guarantee it's not gonna be as well tested and as bulletproof as what's behind SQS or Dynamo or API Gateway. So what I'm doing is I'm introducing a brittleness between the point that I receive the data from the client and I store store the data. So my what I tend to do is I say, hey, let's store the data first. API gateway to DynamoDB. Let's store the data first and get a response back to the customer. Say, hey, I've got your data and uh, now I'm going to do some work for it. Then using streams, and, and this is a DynamoDB thing, but you could also do you know, SQS, use a queue or whatever. But using DynamoDB streams, then I trigger a Lambda to do whatever processing I need to do on that data. Uh, and I show this in an example of doing, I have an application where I synchronously, I translate, I, I have uh, four or five cultures and I give it a string and it'll translate, uh, it'll create five requests against uh, Amazon uh, to train or Amazon Translate to translate that. And then I'll, I'll use Poly to convert it to audio and then I'll save it to uh, a, a bucket. And then, and then once I've sit, when I, once I get the response back, the whole time my, my Lambda is spinning and doing that. And there's always a chance for something to break in my code. Right. Instead, if I shoot that data into DynamoDB and then I start triggering actions after the fact, if somewhere my Lambda function, my code breaks, I've still got the customer data in DynamoDB. I haven't lost it. I don't have to go back to the customer and say, hey, I lost your data. Why don't you trust me again? Promise I'll get it right this time. You're building in a robustness to applications this way. Uh, and it really makes us think asynchronously versus synchronously. Mm, yeah, this is a really cool concept. So um, so with that API gateway, is, are you going API gateway Lambda to DynamoDB or is this a service integration? Yeah, in that example, I'm doing a direct to DynamoDB. I'm not doing much modifications. So that's why the VTL is easy because literally I'm just doing a CRUD, right? I'm just doing create, read, update, and delete. Then my logic, my heavy logic after the fact can be done at a Lambda function based off the stream. Yeah, no, this is awesome. And then the client probably just listening to some type of WebSocket connection or, or something like that to, or to get that data back. Right. Yeah, and you said something else I want to dial back a bit. You said something about, you know, your code is the most brittle part. And I and I think, you know, every everyone is that way, right? When we have like AWS, as you know, thousands of engineers building services, hardening them over five, 10 years. And then, you know, we're, we're trying to add on. Um, you know, we talked about the VTL. The thing that comes into my mind that I've mentioned on podcast before is, you know, where's the VTL generator from AWS? And then can we ever get bulletproof code the same way we have these bulletproof SQS type stuff? Like you're doing this, it's done over thousands of times repeated across all these companies, we've hardened it, but it's not, uh, I guess it's like a service, but it's, it's on the code side, the application code side. Yeah. So, so in that, you know, with, with AWS, we build, uh, and you've probably heard this before, we build 
heavily based on what customers are, are struggling with and ask us for. And and for a long time, that was at the infrastructure. That was EC2, that was SWF, that was SQS, things like that. But you see us moving uh, further up the stack. Uh, some, you know, Lambda functions are a great example. Uh, and so while I don't have any, you know, roadmap secrets or anything to give you like that, I can tell you that our goal is to remove the you remove the redundancy, remove the brittleness, help customers get to the application they want to build, and, and you know, and, and for us, you know, security and uh, you know, resiliency and scalability, those are job one for us. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I would say you'll see us continuing to move up the stack some to help customers out in that respect. Yeah, fantastic. And then uh, a question I had: I've seen some people in conversations uh, for a while. The CloudWatch offerings were, uh, you know, were somewhat lagging behind some of the third-party observability tools where they had focused teams or were building this stuff out. How do you know? Do you, how do you, how do you think about that when you're approaching somebody that's starting to do stuff? Do you lean completely into CloudWatch for all parts of everything? If you're, yeah, how do you think about observability when it comes to serverless? So I'll answer that question, question first, um, and I'll just – how do I think about observability in general? Uh, and then I'll come back to, to – and it applies to serverless. I mean, so it's going to be the same. Uh, you know, in in many customers I worked with, at, you know, like Rackspace as a solutions architect and even talking to customers now, I, I love this because I'll ask them, okay, are you monitoring your application? You bet we're monitoring our application. We're monitoring the heck out of it. We're just – we're monitoring that bad boy. Okay, that's great. What are you doing? We're storing that data. Okay, great. You're storing that. What are you doing? That we're storing that data in S3. Okay. So, so what do you do with that data? We store it. <laughs> okay. Are you are you uh, you getting alerts off it? We store it, and if there's a problem, we have it to go back and read and say, okay, that's a great start, right? Yes, we we've wrapped in some we we've wrapped in logging and metrics and things like that. But for me, from the beginning, I believe you should write observability into your system. And, and not just, hey, I'm storing data, but hey, I'm reading the story of my data. As data is getting stored, I'm writing the alerts, I'm doing the things like that. And CloudWatch is a phenomenal tool for that, right? And so if, if you've got the, the wherewithal and the know-how, you can take, you know, with, with, with insights, with X-Ray, especially with serverless applications and using X-Ray, that distributed pattern, you know, X-Ray can give you the story around that. Now, um, I will say that we have partners that we use, um, that, and, and I just, you know, you, your, your Lumigos, your Epsigons, your Stackeries, you know, your whatever, that also add to this story, and we love them. Uh, and, and the thing I say there is if I'm sitting down talking to a customer, say, hey, if you've got someone that can sit down and build your observability into your application, then CloudWatch is the way to go. Build your alerts, build your metrics, build, you know, build everything you need, and they understand that. But a lot of companies don't, or especially startups and even bigger companies, it's more like, eh. And so that's where these out-of-the-box solutions like uh, you know, like some of our partners are really good because they're going to tap into that and, hey, we've already got your uh, alerts in place. We've already got your metrics in place. Literally just turn our system on and we're doing a lot of that. And so that's where I kind of draw the line between when, when I would go at CloudWatch or when I would go one of our partners. And a lot of a lot of our partners will rely on CloudWatch as well uh, to get that information. But as far as getting, if, if you have the, the technical know-how to build that, you know, we give you these layers. Lego blocks in CloudWatch that build an amazing story around your application. When it comes to the complexity of serverless and people starting to get introduced into it and thinking about getting started, a lot of times they they initially they'll jump in, they'll build out you know one Lambda function, they'll get that quick that quick win, and we hear that a lot. 
Um, and it's, and we've heard people say it's a really good way to start. I believe Lego kind of did that same thing and they built on it. Um, but then when we actually talk about like going from that one Lambda function to a production serverless application, that what does that look like? And is it, is it multiple weeks? Is it months? Um, is it a continuous process over, over years? And, um, how, how, how would you encourage people to move from the small win to the production serverless application? Yeah, so uh, you know, and it's all of those in some way. You know, they, they can be it could be quick wins. You know, hey, I got I got my proof of concept up. I've, you know, or and then like anything else, it's ongoing. You know, we we build out. There's better ways we can find to do that. Um, I think the I think the first thing you know we have a lot of folks that start you know in the console they build a lambda they trigger it with a, a cron event or, or or you know CloudWatch event like a cron machine or something like that. I think the first thing I tell folks is okay, that's great. You're in the console, uh, you've built that, but now let's get out of the console. Okay. The console's not scalable. The console's great for quickly looking at that. Hey, I built this one thing, but let's get out of the console. Let's, let's start looking. How do I approach enterprise grade applications? Well, I don't build them on the production server, do I? Nope. I start thinking about them in pipelines and start thinking about them in how do I break it down? Just like any other architecture you're building. If, I, if I'm going to build an application, I'm going to start thinking about, you know, what are my domain objects? What, what are my environments that I need? How is this going to break apart? So that's the same in serverless as it would be you know, in, in non-serverless and, you know, the other one, right? And so you start planning and thinking that out. But the cool thing about serverless is if, you know, we get out of the console, the first thing we tell folks is, is look at a framework. Now, if you if you followed me at all, I'm a same guy. I, I'm a, and this was me even before I worked for AWS. I love uh, the serverless application model. I love the CMC a lot. Uh, another great one is, is serverless.com or go serverless. Uh, there's a partner of ours. Um, Either of those, uh, you can look at the CDK. Um, but but to to really get serious about building serverless, you need to get into one of the frameworks. And this takes a lot of you know the deployment, the debugging locally, the you know looking at logs, different things like that. You start thinking more of a past the look. I'm just trying it out, and into I have a plan to build an application. Okay, and so that's the first thing we do. See, you know, get get off, you know, get off the the console and look at getting into some of the frameworks. The second thing I would say is look at some of the you know some of the workshops that are out there. And this is going to be a shameless plug, but I'm going to throw it out there. Uh, James Bezik, one of our developer advocates, created an amazing workshop uh, called Innovator Island, and it walks you through building a full-on application that monitors a theme park. You know, how many people are on the rides and you take pictures and green screen and all kinds of stuff. And it gives you this idea of, wow, I can build a full application that is mobile ready, that is client, you know, a website ready. And you get this idea. So you kind of get into your head, how do I build serverless, you know, applications? Past that, uh, you know, then you just do. You know, I think as developers, not many of us read all the books and then we go try it, right? We, we, we got to break it. You know, if you're anything like me, you got to break it to learn it. And so my, my encouragement to you for building service applications is grab hold of one of these frameworks get started and then build a proof of concept. That's one of the beauties of serverless is I can get a proof of concept up immediately. I mean, I can, I can, Hey, look at there. I'm, you know, you can do the, the you know, ever popular image uh, manipulation Lambda function, or you can do the hello world uh, or whatever. Um, but that's, and, and then as you start doing that, then you, you get that proof of concept going uh, and then you, you're able to grow out from that. Big one there is the same concepts still apply to serverless, and so you're not you're not throwing out the entire book. If you have established processes, most likely they just need to be adapted to serverless. It sounds like potentially SAM or serverless framework, and then build it out that way. Um, And then and then I am in the boat. I'm in the same boat. Um, 
just, you know, I, I worked for Nike, so I'll say it, just do it, you know, just go after it. That's right. Um, break it, uh, you know, learn, learn where that, where it falls down. Uh, and then from there, yeah, then you get those little context things about, oh, that's how the AWS SDK does that thing. And if it throws back this error, then I need to catch it. And, um, yeah, so that's, that's awesome. Um, final thing for people that are thinking about, you know, they're interested in serverless, potentially a career change. Do you, is there specific backgrounds that, um, people might, uh, have, may, they may not know that they might actually be a really great fit for something like serverless? Yeah, you know, a developer, developer background. I, I think there's a, you know, there's a, sometimes there's a mystery of serverless that people see that's really not there. Uh, you, and what I mean by that is if you can code, if you can do Node, Go, Ruby, Java, Python, uh, you know, and, and Swift, that's one I've been working on lately is running Swift in a Lambda function, then you can do serverless uh, pretty straightforward. So, so that developer background, if you're not a developer, um, then, then, you know, it's, it's a great way in this. And, and I see this a lot in, 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 you know, I've got some buddies that have kids that are learning to code and they're, as they're going through this, they're learning how to, you know, bring up a server and express server or something like that. And, and then when I show them, Hey, let me show you how to run that very function you're doing in a Lambda function. And there's no computer, you know, they love that as well. So if you're learning to code, I, I think you can kind of pull serverless in with you. You know, uh, say, oh, yeah, I could just run this in a, in a Lambda function versus having to bring up another server. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, really from, from all walks of life. I mean, you, hey, you're talking to a, an ex-pastor, you know, who with an MDiv degree who's who's doing coding, you know. And so I, everything I learned, I learned on, on Google at night, you know, uh, you know, after after the kids are in bed, I, I went downstairs and just started breaking things until one day it worked. To play off of that as well, I, I worked fast food out of high school and then uh, went to a code school. From there, it's just been serverless nonstop. So um, yes. I actually, my start was actually at Alexa Skill. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to anybody that's trying to learn serverless. Uh, Alexa Skills are really fun because they'll talk back to you. Chatbots a, too. Yeah. Oh, chatbots. Yeah. yeah, great one. Awesome. Well, I think that that does it. I think we're at a wrap. Can Pleasure I throw out a website? Yes, absolutely. Oh. All right. Hey, so so the the developer advocates for AWS, we have a YouTube serverless channel, uh, and it is at uh, youtube.com forward slash c forward slash AWS serverless. Uh, and then, or you can follow me on EDJ geek at Twitter on Twitter at Twitter on Twitter uh, <laughs> at EDJ geek. And I can get that link for you as well. I also answer a ton of serverless questions. So that is a great way to reach out to me, reach out to my team. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Eric. Thanks for having me, Ryan. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And to those listening, this has been the Talking Serverless Podcast with Ryan Jones. If you like our show and want to learn more, check out TalkingServerless.io or please leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. And join us next time as we sit down with another fantastic serverless guest.